You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. My guest today is Dr. Tara Dahl, who is a full-time clinical lipidologist with Advanced Lipidology in Delafield, Wisconsin. Dr. Dahl, welcome back to the show. Hello, nice to be here. Well, today's topic is polycystic ovarian disease, or otherwise known as Stein-Leventhal syndrome, or PCOS, or PCO. How common is it, Tara? It's actually incredibly common. It affects about 10% of reproductive age women, and is likely underdiagnosed, so the prevalence may be even greater than that. So you could probably designate a full practice to taking care of these patients. I practically do. (laughs) You're right. So what's the current definition? There's a couple different definitions based on who you talk to, but the NIH definition basically requires that a woman have evidence of chronic anovulation as well as some sort of clinical or biochemical sign of excessive androgens. So that could be evidence of, you know, hirsutism, acne, irregular menses, those sorts of things. There's another criteria, the Rotterdam criteria, that requires two of the following, either chronic anovulation hyperandrogenism, and then polycystic ovaries. But you don't have to actually have cystic ovaries in order to have PCOS, which is kind of an interesting yeah, that number. Is, that <laughs> so. is quite interesting. Yes. I have polycystic ovarian disease, but, but my has nothing to do with ovaries my, are fine. So my ovaries, right. What kind of things do we see as a result of the androgen excess, both clinically? Well, let's start with clinically. So, well, clinically... In all honesty, what gets most women through the door is the irregular menses and the hirsutism and the things that bother young women. What's of more concern are the abnormalities going on metabolically. There's certainly abnormalities seen in lipids. People with polycystic ovarian syndrome have a very high prevalence of metabolic syndrome. So the things we see with metabolic syndrome, elevated triglycerides, low HDL, Many women will have excessive weight around their abdomen, again, all criteria that go along with metabolic syndrome. And then many of these women do experience problems with being overweight as a result of the metabolic issues and hyperinsulinemia that goes along with the metabolic syndrome. How do you know what comes first, if it's the PCOS or the metabolic syndrome, or they just kind of travel hand in hand? Yeah, you know, it's a very good question, and I don't know if we know the answer to that. I think there clearly is some genetic predisposition to this. And just like there may be a predisposition to diabetes, there's certainly a predisposition to PCOS as well. Women likely have some sort of genetic setup for it. And then obviously, as they gain weight, the complications and problems become worse. The problem is the syndrome itself makes one gain weight. And so again, what came first is is always hard to say. And then what about age? Is there a certain age it kind of starts, or can it be any age? It can really be any age, but most women with this are really diagnosed relatively young in life, in adolescence or even in early 20s. And the reason, again, is that one of the common symptoms, chronic anovulation, has symptoms that women begin to become concerned about, so the irregular periods and possibly difficulty getting pregnant, fertility issues due to the anovulation really presents itself relatively early in life. And many of these women seek care then from their gynecologists or their primary care physicians, and there tends to be a tremendous amount of focus on the clinical symptoms that women are complaining about. However, what we don't probably spend as much time as we should is really talking about the cardiovascular risk 
and the increased risk of diabetes, that is what ultimately is going to cause problems for these women down the road. So if we can intervene very early in addressing those additional risks, we can probably impact their lifetime risk of diabetes and heart disease significantly. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. My guest today is Dr. Tara Dahl, a lipidologist in Delafield, Wisconsin. We're talking about polycystic ovarian disease and potential interventions. Tara, can you pretty much diagnose this when they walk in the room, or do you need any sort of blood tests? There are a number of blood tests that can be ordered. In the past, they were ordered more routinely. You can get LH, FSH ratios. You can get DH, EAS levels and testosterone levels. And basically, when those levels are elevated, those are signs of excessive androgen. But really, you can look at a woman and see her statism. You can you know, hear their story about irregular menses and ovulatory issues. That's something you can certainly see without getting additional labs. I don't personally order all those additional labs to diagnose. It tends to be a clinical diagnosis for me. Obviously, the lipid panel, I think, is something that we really should be looking at routinely because that has significant abnormalities potentially associated with it, and there's certainly things that we can do to improve the clinical symptoms by addressing the underlying metabolic issues, insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, and the lipid abnormalities present. All right. So let's go there. Let's start with first insulin lowering. What do you first do with these patients? Do you do a trial of lifestyle? I think absolutely the most appropriate thing is to be able to help women lose weight because that's going to certainly impact the syndrome significantly. So if one can lose weight, that's going to have a positive impact. Now, it's difficult to lose weight when you have excessive insulin on board, people tend to gain weight. And what I find is that women really need to exercise almost twice as much as everybody else to get the same results. So when we counsel initially about lifestyle changes, we really encourage pretty aggressive changes. I mean, 60 minutes or more per day of some sort of activity. We give women pedometers and recommend that they get 10,000 steps a day and then try to do something additional even another 20 to 30 minutes if they want to do this without any kind of pharmacologic intervention. And then, obviously, the attention to diet, lowering the intake of simple carbohydrates and uh, trans fat, similar to the kind of recommendations we would have to somebody who has uh, metabolic syndrome. You could actually have them go to the bookstore and take a book off the shelf, like a a low-carbohydrate diet, the Zone or South Beach. Sure, sure. I mean, those types of diets work better, certainly, than the low-fat diets because low-fat diets tend to be high in carbs, which is going to make the problem worse. Most of these women have hypertriglyceridemia, which, you know, would do better with a lower-carbohydrate diet. But we don't usually recommend the extreme low-carb diets, but I think that that's basically the right direction to be going in, right? So that would be always step one. We actually very, very quickly intervene with medications like metformin therapy. It's dirt cheap. It works well. There's been a lot of data in the literature on using metformin in patients with polycystic ovarian syndrome. There's also a lot of data using TZDs, and there's data on all the TZDs, um, pioglitazone, roziglitazone, as well as troglitazone, which is no longer available. And these medications work in these women because really the underlying pathophysiology of the disease is insulin resistance. So if you really want to address even the reproductive abnormalities, the fertility issues and the chronic anovulation, you can do that by addressing the insulin resistance, which is really the core of the problem. That's interesting. So by treating one thing, you're actually helping another. You're really helping many of the other problems. So 
and that's really our approach would be to really very quickly put metformin on board. I think there's a lot of data to support that. And actually, the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists came out with a position paper very recently within the last year, really recommending that, you know, because of the fact these women, especially if they're overweight, are almost always insulin resistant, that you really should consider intervening sooner than later with medications. I believe the Androgen Excess Society recommends all women with PCOS be tried on metformin initially, in addition to lifestyle. Can you or have you ever seen women actually resume spontaneous ovulation just by diet and weight loss? Absolutely. That absolutely can happen. I think that when obviously when you add the TZD or the metformin, you could do it potentially more quickly, but just weight loss alone may work. Now, the one thing I would say is that not every woman with polycystic ovarian syndrome is overweight. So it's not just the obesity that's causing the problem. There's obviously some other underlying genetic abnormality present that's producing insulin resistance. You know, as you know, there's insulin-resistant people out there that are thin. So you can't assume that because a woman is thin and has polycystic ovarian syndrome that they wouldn't respond to the same kinds of therapies. But obviously, if a thin woman, you can't have them lose weight any further. So, Let's look at their lipid profile. I know you're a big fan of NMRs. What do you see when you routinely check their NMRs? Well, what we basically see is the same kind of disconnect between the LDL cholesterol and the LDL particle concentration as would be measured by NMR or by an ApoB level, and it's very consistently seen. So the LDL cholesterol level could easily be less than 100 and well within the optimal range, whereas the LDL particle concentration is frequently well over 1,500, optimal being less than 1,000 in many of these patients. And what they basically have are an excess number of small, dense particles, again, which is what we see in the setting of insulin resistance. You know, for example, I have a patient who came in the other day. Her LDL cholesterol was 69, and her LDL particle concentration was 1794, which wow, is well above that's, normal. That's a disconnect. Absolutely. And the small particle breakdown of that was 1421. So the majority of her particles were small. She has an excess number of them with the LDL cholesterol certainly was not reflecting at 69. Now, she also had a triglyceride level of 174 which again is classically seen in these patients. They have elevated triglycerides. Many of them will also have a low HDL, but not always. As you know, women are more likely to have a higher level of HDL, so the HDL doesn't always tell the story quite as much as the triglycerides do. So what did you do for her? In all honesty, what we did with her is we put her on metformin. And in all honesty, what I see clinically in doing lots and lots of advanced lipid testing is that the metformin alone can drop the particles four to 500 points in these women where they may not ever really need to be on additional traditional lipid-lowering therapy with statins or omega-3s, niacin, fibrates, those sorts of things because if you can treat the underlying insulin resistance, you really see the lipids improve dramatically, and we see that over and over again. Now, some patients will have genetic lipid abnormalities on top of the PCOS and obviously would be very appropriate candidates for other therapies like statins and omega-3s and other things. You have to be careful in young women that are interested in becoming pregnant, you know, as far as what you're using to address their lipids. I would think the only thing that I would feel real comfortable with in addressing triglycerides in a woman that plans to get pregnant would be fish oil. Right. Right. And with a Loveza available, it's nice to have prescription, you know, strength fish oil that can be used. So... So that would be the one other medication I may add if somebody had a triglyceride level that was, you know, higher, more substantial that I wanted to lower. Are there any studies out there that actually show or prove the link between 
polycystic ovarian disease and the actual development of cardiovascular disease, not just the metabolic syndrome. Right. We know that there is definitely an association of polycystic ovarian disease. The prevalence of coronary disease is definitely higher. There was one study that showed a 43% increased rate of metabolic syndrome in patients with PCOS, and there's certainly data showing that there's increased cardiovascular risk, almost sevenfold increased risk of MI in women who've had polycystic ovarian syndrome. So there's definitely data to support the fact that this certainly is correlated with increased cardiovascular risk as well as increased risk of type 2 diabetes. Dr. Tara Dahl of Advanced Lipidology in Delafield, Wisconsin, thank you very much for coming on the show. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to Lipid Illuminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals.